This is Hitting the Mark. Conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. Culture for us, we're still young enough that it's not perfect all the time. It's like... um, uh, it constantly needs inputs because it starts leaning. It's like 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 a helicopter. When a helicopter flies, it's constant. You're constantly balancing it because it will start to drift this way, and then it'll come back and drift this way. So you're constantly making inputs um, to it to adjust the the sort of flight path. This was Alex Matisse, who co-founded East Fork, a pottery brand I cherish and study from the outside for a lot of reasons, all of which you will learn more about during this very sincere and insightful conversation with Alex, who made it a strategic point not to name his brand after his famous last name. Yes, he is the great-grandson of one of the most influential artists to ever live, Henry Matisse. Alex and I talk about the soul of a brand and how to keep it intact, his dislike of the word authenticity, the constant, which he sees as positive, struggle that drives his artisanal made-in-the-US business, and how he and his two co-founders created a brand that those who know it came to love and even obsess over. Here's Alex Matisse of East Fork talking about all things branding and much more. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure it's to be here. it's a huge pleasure to have you here. We, we're recording this on the Friday before Labor Day weekend, so um, a double thank you for you to to make this time today. Of um, let, let's let's start let, let's start with the story of you building a thirty six foot long wood burning kiln to what today is the East Fork brand. Um, it's 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 a brand that. I, as someone who lives and loves uh, and breathes branding, absolutely looks up to and gets inspired by. It's, I know it's a big question, the whole story, but, but, but paint our listeners the picture of how one thing led to another and how you always stayed true to your purpose and vision really from day one. Sure. So, um, yeah, we have a, a pretty unusual origin story uh, to a lot of the companies that are out there that maybe look and feel a little bit like East Fork and are selling dinnerware or something like that. Um, I founded the company and at that point it wasn't really a company. I had no dream or desire to, or, or premonition that what exists today would grow out of uh, what I was doing aside from I wanted to do something kind of impactful uh, of, at scale, but I had no idea what form it would take. Uh, I had finished three years of very formal apprenticeship. I dropped out of college. I went to go work for a potter that I had met uh, when I was in college. I worked for him for two years in in this sort of very specific school of making. Then I went and worked for uh, another potter in that same in that same school for what he called finishing school, and um, left the apprenticeship, moved back to Western North Carolina, bought an old farm and started building this large kiln and some buildings, met Connie. But um, in the beginning, I was making pots on a potter's wheel, firing them in this large wood-burning kiln that would hold, you know, a thousand to 2,000 pieces. Hmm. Uh, we did 
you know, three, four firings a year and selling them to this collector base of, of very fanatical um, people, it, mostly in the Southeast, uh, who bought pottery in this kind of tradition that exists here. Um, and so from the beginning, it was always about a love of, of the ceramic vessel and making things out of clay. And that has certainly shifted in how we do that, um, <clears throat> but still obviously remains uh, central to what we do. Um, the, the shift took place a few years in. I'd been making pots, selling them, you know, going to some craft shows. We would have these kiln openings where we would send out a postcard to our small mailing list and people would show up at nine in the morning uh, excited to see the new pots that came out of the kiln hmm. and we'd sell them all. And we'd always sort of have an event like Connie would cook a bunch of food and it would be this really kind of beautiful kind of community moment. And it was how we, we made our money. A um, few years into doing that, a friend of mine um, came out to visit and he was just finishing up an apprentice with another potter that was in our kind of little family of potters and said, what do you think about working together? And it was an odd thing for two potters um, to work together hmm. sort of under a studio name, you know, that weren't married. Like oftentimes mm -hmm. you see spouses working together under a name of a pottery, but, but kind of rare to approach it this way. And, um, but we, we figured we'd give it a shot. And so John came out, John is now our CFO. Um, and we started making work. We stamped it East Fork, which I had named it East Fork from the very beginning. Most potters also name their pottery after themselves mm -hmm. where we live. So it's like Mark Hewitt pottery, Matt Jones pottery. Those were the two people that I worked with. Um, I named it East Fork pottery. Um, I think probably mostly because I was trying to sort of run away from my last name yeah. and wanted something that kind of lived outside of that. Uh, people would still ask me to sign the bottom of pots and, um, you know, I, you can never escape that. Although now actually the majority of our customers have no idea of that small kind of footnote in our, in our history. And it, it's just like a little added bonus when people discover it. Um, but John, I, I sort of went off track there. John came out, we started working together and we got this idea to, design a line of, of pots that we would make and sell. And, and then we would go back to the wood kiln and we would make our, our sort of art pieces. Um, we noticed ceramics having another kind of moment in the sun. You know, it's sort of cyclical. Maybe every mm -hmm. 10 or 12 years it, it enters the zeitgeist again. <laughs> um, so T Magazine was writing up these potters in Brooklyn and LA. I remember and, seeing that actually. Yeah, yeah, and it was a real thing. I mean, it still is, but there was it had a real moment. Um, and we thought we had something to contribute to that conversation. And we saw all of our current collectors. They weren't getting any younger. There weren't a whole lot of people coming in and following in their footsteps. And we wanted to speak to a, a larger uh, community, essentially. So we started putting more work online. And then we bought this little gas kiln from the Netherlands, and it was completely computerized. So the switch was like driving, I, I say this often, but it's like 
going from driving around in a Conestoga wagon to buying a Tesla. And <laughs> it still moves you through time and space and gets you from one point to another, but in a very, very different way. And um, buying that automated gas kiln was that was the first big um, step for us. And we released this line that was, you know, had different colors. Some of them are still in the in the core collection. Uh, some of them have sort of drifted off. Uh, some of them have returned. And we sent out a postcard to all of our people saying, hey, look at this new stuff that we're making. <laughs> and we expected some people to come out and check it out. You know, usually for these kiln openings, you've got a line out the door by about 8.30 or 9 when you open. And nobody showed up. Like not not a soul. Normally there might be 50, 60 people milling about, excited to buy the pottery. And about 1130, you know, one little car kind of bumps up the gravel driveway. And uh, so it was a funny start to the thing. Obviously, it, it certainly turned around. Um, and around that time, you know, Connie had always been involved um, on the sort of periphery, you know, she would follow us around with the iPhone and take photos and put them on Instagram and help at the sales and those sorts of things. But uh, she started to get more involved and then the three of us really got serious um, and she came on full time, We started hiring some people and eventually the new work that we were making still all by hand at this point took off and we never fired that wood kiln again and we ended up selling that place um, when we moved into Asheville and we needed like a real manufacturing facility. Um, and so that was, that was the early the early days and the shift, um, Connie would focus on brand and marketing. And I focused on production and infrastructure and finding new ways to make things. And John is our CFO, we made sure we never ran out of money. And Amazing. Yet. What a, <laughs> that's good. Uh, what is, what, what an amazing jump from him actually being hands-on creating, right, to, to, to doing the finances. That's yeah. Cool. It, it's unheard it was. of. <laughs> I mean, it started when we were doing the, the kiln openings. Connie and I are, are pretty horrible at that part. And so it was just, it was natural. And John's parents are both accountants. And so they would they would come out and sit with a little cash box and reconcile the, the sales from the day. And then John just took that over. You know, he got a he got a letter from the government one time saying, Oh, we needed to pay this sales tax, and he filed it and paid the tax, and that then that was it. John was doing that. <laughs> Should so, have not done that. <laughs> uh, and you know, now our finances are, you know, we have we have board members who are, you know, have been on the board of publicly traded companies, and they say that our our financial reporting is bar none some of the best they've ever seen. So he is he's both a talented artist, designer, he's a poet, a beautiful writer, uh, and he's he's obviously really good at the at the finances so. well and uh and, and and talking about legacy and i know this is not something that's uh that that you want to be affiliated with the brand as you 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 called it a footnote before i i think it is absolutely remarkable how you how you moved away from your from your last name and how you did this very purposefully and how you somewhat as much as you can possibly succeed in it actually succeed in that um but you know you are the great grandson of one of the most influential artists to ever live henry matisse 
How did you, I have to bring it up because otherwise, you know, like you're, you're succeeding too much in it. Um, yeah, so yeah. How did you, but I'm really, I'm really curious and this has nothing to do with really with your brand and this has nothing to do with, with, with branding, but how did you navigate the expectations or the pressure or potentially as it, as it so often is the case, even the idea of resisting art altogether, right? Like as a profession, uh, obviously you thrive now off of your passion of crafting and you always have uh, and you created something marvelous out of it but how was it growing up with that constant reminder of your of your family's legacy and i mean and now you're you're in it and you found your complete own path and and you're extremely successful with it but really when you're in your teens or when you're growing up how was that it's really interesting to see how different people and different families kind of navigate that you know having someone in their in their family that carries that much kind of weight. Um, Matisse was a pretty tough guy and you know a lot of a lot of the family has struggled kind of in the shadow that he cast and and had a hard time sort of getting out of it. I mean he was just so single-mindedly focused on on his work and so hard on himself too but he was very hard on on those around him and his children and um, so it's sort of like every generation I think, you escape it a little bit more and the uh, whatever has been passed down from you, the kind of intergenerational um, stuff, it, it lightens as you go. Um, but, you know, there, I think there's some families where it's all really healthy and everything's talked about, but it was always kind of this white elephant in the room. Hmm. Uh, we were surrounded by art growing up, his, his son. Uh, his son, you know, wanted to be an artist, but there was really, there just wasn't room for more than one in that family. Mm -hmm. So he started selling art. So my grandfather, Pierre Matisse, moved to the States. Um, he sold a few drawings from his father, and then he started bringing over these other guys. Um, and he brought over, you know, Giacometti and hmm. uh, Miro for a time, and Chagall and Dubuffet, mm -hmm. and like some heavy hitters, introduced them to the U.S., um and so we were we grew up surrounded by by art my parents were both artists um but it was very much like a you just do it and if it's good enough and people recognize it that's great but if you have any other motivation for doing this like mm -hmm. that's that's the wrong motivation like the only thing that you should do is do what you love and do it sort of as kind of purely as possible in, in a sense, as opposed to say, you know, the stories that we would hear about the Picassos who would sort of maybe trade on their name a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, that was always very, very frowned upon uh, in our, in our family. It'd be, it's better to hide under a rock than to trade on your name. Um, so that's it, amazing. That, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And 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 thank you, thank you for talking about this because I'm 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 sure it's not your favorite subject, but it's it's really it's really fascinating. I mean, I I I grew up in a family in Vienna, traditional Vienna family, where where my dad was a big violinist. Um, he was on the stage every night, and uh, and and of course he tried to to teach me the violin, and then he very quickly realized I've got zero talent. Um, and then he just basically when people asked like like 
like, what does your what, what what does one of your sons do? And he always answered with, no, he's normal. You know, like he doesn't he doesn't right. play the violin. Right. He's normal. So I think there is this certain art, there's this certain kind of like protection around around artists too, where it's uh, you know, where it's like a little bit of that ownership. And unless you're really gonna excel, like let's better not. And it's 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 interesting. It's I mean, there's absolutely no comparison to your family, but I, I think it's always interesting to see how people step into into footsteps, um, you know, of, of generations past without, you know, without clinging on to something, right? Yeah. And just creating yeah. your, and, and that's why I find it fascinating. Yeah. And that's why it makes so much sense that, that, that the company is not named after your last name. It would have, it would have been, you know, difficult and disastrous for the brand in many ways, right? Um, and I'm sure also very successful if you're that kind of person that wants to create that kind of brand, which you clearly are not. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. You know, we are we're releasing um, a color that is a sort of nod to Matisse this this fall that um, I'm sure will generate a little press because of it. But there is a funny story of a violin in my family too, and I I think it was I don't know if it was Matisse and his son or if it was Pierre, my grandfather and my father, but one of them put their son in. Vi you know, got them violin lessons with a with a instructor, and went to the instructor one day and said, "So, is, is he going to be a concert violinist, or you know, what's the what's the deal?" And and the instructor asked him. He just said, "When it's time for dinner, do you have to go and physically remove the violin from his hands for him to come to the table?" And he said, "Well, no, you just." comes and he said well then he's not gonna be exactly. no that's great i mean yeah. that's really it right like is it is it is it is it is it are you that passionate about it right is it your life yeah um yeah. interesting yeah very very interesting and, and we could talk offline forever about about the subject because I, I i i'm pretty i'm pretty um interested in that too but i mean talking about what you created with east fork over the over the years it is even though it is about art and it is about design and it is about craftsmanship. Um, but it is much bigger than artisanal pottery. Um, and now it's even much bigger than artisanal pottery meeting D2C and social, right? And all of these elements that any entrepreneur today can can take advantage of. And, and you as a team of three have, have uh, uh, you know, three co-founders have taken advantage of it uh, in, in fantastic ways. But you employ around 115 people or so today. You have two factories, you have two retail stores, Last April, you raised your minimum wage to $22 an hour in a state that runs on just a bit over seven bucks an hour. Um, tell us about how you hire at East Fork and how you co-created, literally with your employees, with, 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 with your teams, a culture that is such a big part of your brand. Yeah. Well, it's a constant creation and it is constantly taking input and... Um, the culture for us, we're still young enough that it's not perfect all the time. It's like um, uh, it constantly needs inputs because it starts leaning. It's like 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 a helicopter. When a helicopter flies, it's constant. You're constantly balancing it because it will start to drift this way and then it'll come back and drift this way. So you're constantly making inputs um, to it to adjust the the sort of flight path and and that's still you know we're so early and so young and we've been growing so quickly that 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 culture is still needing that constant kind of attention and that constant uh sort of realignment um 
and some things will be going really well and then you'll notice oh okay the the morale is really low here so you have to go in and figure that out so it's certainly i don't like i don't think that we're like we have the the most amazing culture but what we what we do is we we do sort of strive uh towards kind of constant improvement and doing doing something in a way that generally it's not done um and that's because connie john and i were not business people we didn't go to business school and open east fork to um to disrupt something um hmm. we are disrupting some things now i guess but um it's not like that story of trying to disrupt a traditional business model um we're we're trying to do something and we operate within a, a capitalist framework while recognizing the harm that that can cause and so how do we do it as as well as we can do it and um and do things like you know recognize that the the current wage that we were paying people at that time i think it was we had just raised the minimum wage to twenty dollars an hour and then that mit this mit um calculator that we use to to calculate the living wage for our, for our market where we operate in um clicked up again to 22 and we said okay well we're going to try to do it um and we did that and it added you know 100 dollars to our monthly um operating expense to our break even and um and it, you know it's it was challenging we then you know then the sort of repercussions of uh, all the COVID stimulus and the kind of overstimulation of the economy started hitting there was a softening sort of on the consumer markets and uh we started kind of getting behind our goals so then we were like right on the edge so we've always been just right on the edge um we've never sort of been fully super stable kind of financially we've been we always are kind of leaning into um yeah an uncomfortable edge which i think is is good it's a little tiring <laughs> at times but yeah. yeah, I can see, I can see uh, both of that, and yeah, but but I mean, you have been growing continuously, and and to me, we talked about this a little bit offline at at, at the beginning. It's, uh, I mean, this fight for anyone who crafts anything in the United States versus offshoring it, and you know, to China or, or, or whatever, it becomes a constant struggle, and it becomes this this good fight that 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 you're fighting, right? Um, and and I mean, with you, just the way. That 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 the, that the company has been has been crafted from the get go. It, it is absolutely impossible to ever even think about you know like like, like not not crafting it uh, in a very authentic way. Um, but but one thing that I thought was really interesting, I, I saw that Connie um, posted a week ago on Instagram about a site wide twenty percent off sale, and she was super. I mean, super transparent as she and you as a brand always are online. Um, as to why you're having that sale. And, and I, I'm not going to read the full post, but I'm going to read parts of it because I felt it was really, it was really special and it was interesting and it, and it, and it paints such a good picture of, of what, what the brand is really about and what you and I just talked about. So it goes like this. When the pandemic hit and the economy went haywire, our priorities turned from growing our audience to shoring up internal systems, doubling down on workplace safety efforts, securing our supply chain, deepening our commitment to company values, 
codifying our community partnership program, increasing wages for our associate and generalist level positions, and ensuring that 100% of our team stayed employed with no interruption of benefits or pay. That's what I was referring to before with, with the culture. It is actually really special. And then she says, I'm so proud to say that we've been successful in all those efforts, but it's come at the cost of acquiring new customers at the pace we needed to cover our operating costs. No big deal. Time to get the customer acquisition flywheel spinning again. <laughs> Before our exciting fall initiatives start bearing fruit, nice pun by the way, we've got to cover OPEX for August. And so we're reaching way down into the deepest corners of the back pocket and pulling out a sale. I mean, unbelievably radically transparent, right? Saying like, hey, we, we just got to get through August. <laughs> like, yeah. We actually need to cover our our, our expenses. Um, I'm a big believer in, 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 in transparency and radically, radical transparency. I, I wrote about it uh, in a book I wrote in 2018. Um, but there is the transparency one comes to expect today, which is, which is a very different transparency on a corporate level than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And then there's this kind of transparency where you really go a step further and you talk about revenue and you talk about literally you just got to get through this month. Why... Why is this important to you as as individuals, as co-founders, as a company, and and how does it how does it even spark more brand connection with with your tribe and obviously ultimately sales? Connie has a really amazing way of doing something that if some other companies tried to do this, it sometimes wouldn't hit in the same way, or it may not have the same effect i think in part it's because we've always spoken like this we've always um you know there's a difference between like a d2c company that you know crafts their copy so it feels familiar and like like your your buddies like we you know we you mm -hmm. you know the the sort of copy i'm talking about and then yeah. and then there's just this very sincere open earnest communication that brings people into your struggles your humanity um, <clears throat> in a way that um, that does breed uh, that loyalty, that sense of connectedness, like true connectedness to um, to what we're building, and they feel part of that, and they feel excited by it. And it's like watching, it's like watching uh, you know a TV show unfold in front of you, and <laughs> there are the characters that you know, and their vulnerabilities, and their insecurities, and their um yeah their mistakes their failures their successes all those things people see it um and that's that's why you know it's not authenticity like authenticity is the word that that brands knock about oh i want to be we want to have an authentic brand like there's there's this is just being very sincere and open and, and honest with people uh and we we try to do that with our employees we do that with our customers we um and we do that as a leadership team with ourselves. Like uh, it, that certainly flows throughout <clears throat> the organization is that sense of vulnerability um, that we, we, it's just, it, that is in East Fork's DNA. Um, the vulnerability and the sort of the recognizing your, your imperfectness uh, in a way that I think people really like to, like to hear. Um, but doing that, you know, there is a dark side to that type of 
openness and that type of vulnerability, um, which is that like you become so like it's taken a lot out of Connie. Because she becomes the brand. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You like she has given so much uh to this organization because there is no separation there. And so it's it's super impactful. And you know, there's lots of other companies that have a, a really forward-facing, you know, front person, but it also, you know, there are times I think when we both sometimes feel like, oh man, it'd be really nice to um to have some more separation, you know, like yeah. our our kids were are all over the, you know, the marketing and then the photo shoots and there's such mm. a part of it and the whole family story. And that stuff is that stuff is really potent. Um and I think it's uh it's certainly is impactful, but there's also, you know, there's downsides to everything. There's no perfect totally way to do something that uh, doesn't have some unintended consequences that come with it. So we've been able to grow this organization and create these super fans who have Instagram accounts just devoted to their East Fork collection wow. and, and all of these things. Uh, you know, there's secondary marketplace now for everything. And amazing. Uh, and we've we've done that, but it's also, you know, it's it's sucked quite a bit out of us in the process. It is an amazing, it is an amazing um, trait of a brand, one that you cannot, like you said, you hinted at, you cannot really create that. Either, either you have it, and you, you as a, you as a company, are born that way, right? Um, yeah. Where, where you just, where you just, you know, like you just showcase that, and you're, you're vulnerable, and, and it's okay. And I know, I know, not many brands, but a couple of brands that do that. Um, and it's hard to even call them brands because they're just people doing something right. that they really believe in, and they happen to become a brand because they have a stamp on them, and people love to buy stuff from them. But how I mean, you you as a company, you 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 seem to explode over the over the past four years. I mean, there there were articles in all major outlets, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, everywhere, right? You you have you relaunched your website, your brand, super brand centric, super delightful. Um, and then you also changed your production process a bit in the last four years, I believe, right? From from wheel thrown to to now be also machine assisted. Um, what sparked well, what keeps sparking that push for growth? And then how do you and, and your co-founders, Connie and John, how do you invite but also navigate growth while keeping that magic that we just talked about, which shall not be stamped as authenticity in your eyes, right? But but that that magic, how do, how do you keep that alive with growth? It's challenging. And there's there's a lot of different sort of facets of that challenge that have um, sort of shown up in this process. Um, I mean, the growth for us did start, I mean, I've, I have a, a sort of this personal ambition, personal drive to do th something big and of scale. And I sort of often refer to myself as like the, the kind of small, scrappy, loud, you know, sled dog at the very front of the pack that uh, <laughs> is, you know, barking a lot and getting all the other dogs excited and just kind of dragging everybody along, even though they're not actually pulling that much. Um, so that there's like this drive for the growth that I think I provide. Um, John and Connie have less of a, less of that kind of innate um, 
thing within them that is desiring for something kind of never ending and big and of, of scale. Um, I think that the tension that exists between all three of us there is actually, a, it's a net positive mm -hmm. um, because it does force a lot of conversation. It forces a lot of deep inward um, thinking about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, we, we brought investors on early on too. And, and I, I, I pitched an idea of something that was, that was impactful uh, and of scale. And, you know, I, I feel sort of lots of, lots of different things that continue to drive, drive that growth. But one of those is, is certainly to, uh, to, 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 to provide the folks that enabled this thing to happen early with the, you know, the eventual kind of expectation that, that I laid out there. Um, the, you know, the, the transformation from making everything by hand, we've been working on that for five years. Um, we've gone through the industrial revolution, like in that time. Um, it, to me, that's the thing that I was always really, really excited about passionate about was finding new ways to make things, new machines, going to old factories that had been abandoned, mm -hmm. um, pulling things out, fixing them up, telling that story. Um, it's, it's a really interesting story, you know, of this, of a, of, it was a relatively small industry in the U S but still pretty meaningful. And there were lots of big factories and there just aren't any left. They've all been offshored. So, um, so, so you literally, I mean, you're basically, you have like ghost towns of of of, of these machines, right? Because everyone just <laughs> offshored to China, and suddenly exactly, you can go yeah. back and 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 you can like repair them and give them a second life. Exactly. Yeah. And now we buy now we're buying some new equipment too. Um, that's that's still being made in countries where they still make a lot of pottery. But um, but early on, it was buying all this old stuff huh. for scrap metal prices and nursing it back to life. Um, so all of these little things, like that is what makes East Fork, it's, or it's one of the things that makes East Fork East Fork is that um, we, we never go about things in the easy way. Um, we do everything ourselves. We have a, you know, an a internal creative team that's really big. You know, we, we make so much content. Like we just, everything we try to do, we try to do it as sort of with as much um, exuberance and, uh um, energy as we can, um, as opposed to a brand that does like, you know, a handful of photo shoots a year. I mean, we, we do a photo shoot or two photo shoots every week for something. Um, and it, it certainly makes things more complicated. Like we don't have a, uh, an ad strategy. Like we don't put money into Facebook. We've maybe spent a hundred by the end of the year, $50,000 with Facebook this mm -hmm. year, you know, mm -hmm. on, on, on significant revenue. Um, so, yeah, that's now I'm trailing off. Get me back on track. Uh, oh, 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 trailing off is exactly what this is all about. <laughs> 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 this is this is where the magic lies. Um, no, I, I, it's it's so interesting because the more you talk about the more you talk about the brand, the more the more it becomes so apparent that that really the the quote unquote competitive advantage, which is a silly word to use in the world of of pottery, right? But the competitive advantage comes down to to telling the story because if you don't tell the story and if you don't give people an insight into you know that the how and the why you know rather than the what right because the what yeah. is beautiful pottery which is exquisitely made and 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 all of that right obviously and and, and creative and all of that but um 
it's really interesting to see because that is I, I saw this at a, at a at a surf shop in Venice Beach um, years ago and it stuck with me. Um, I saw that they, they they were broken into. They had like a glass window in the storefront. A small little mm-hmm. local, you know, one of these really dedicated uh, you know stores. Um, and and so it had um, it had like a two by four over it. It had like a wall over it, and and they spray painted on it saying, "You cannot steal our soul," mm-hmm. and. I thought that's branding in a nutshell. Like that's yeah. that's that's really when a company turns into a brand and that brand you can't touch. Yeah, they can fail still, of course, right? But you can't touch it because they have something that they created over years that is so that so comes from the inside. And if you wouldn't tell that story, you would sell pottery and compete with everyone else who sells pottery, which are not that many. There are maybe like three or five big ones in the US most probably, right? Um, or you compete with China. And, yeah. you know, and it's like, so it's like this constant race that you are racing in a way based on, based on really your, 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 your own emotions as, as, as people and how you run this. And you need to tell that because if you don't tell that there's really, it gets really competitive. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think the experience of discovering East Fork is, yeah, you, you maybe come here because you see an Instagram post or something that, or you see an ad, if we run an an ad. Um, And then once you get into it, it's like the story starts slowly kind of revealing. And I Mm -hmm. think, I think you start, you know, customers start to understand, oh, well, this is a really, this is an interesting company. This is different than, than a lot of other things. Like I'm, I'm being communicated to in this sort of new strange yeah. way. And um, yeah, and it's, it's, I think it's alluring for people and yeah, you sort of peel the layers back, you know, like totally. an onion. Um, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's the little things too. So, so, so the joy that I get when scrolling through your website from simply seeing the East Fork logotype slowly change to drawings of pottery, it's really hard to describe in words. I'm completely obsessed with this. I think it's it's so it's so genius because what happens is as you scroll down the website, the East Fork logotype, like one letter at a time, slowly turns into a little piece of pottery. That sounds really cheesy right now, but it's totally not. It's actually it's done in a really nice in a really nice way. And and to me. You know, the coolest thing is that the register R is still next to it. So at the end, you basically, right. when you scroll right. down all the way down, right. it's like it's like seven pieces, I guess seven is the name, right? Like seven pieces of, of pottery um, and, and you know, outlined and next to it, it has a register R. And I, I mean, I don't know, was that just a little thing that that the agency came up with or is that deeper meaning? That was that was our friends, Helen and Josh, who own an agency called Fuzzco based in Charleston. They designed that component, Genius. I believe. The, those little the crown drawings. <laughs> I think we, we did the crown drawings. We were like going back and forth because we had worked with them. You know, they're they're like the only uh well, we used an agency to build the website, but the, the actual branding, that new branding they did, and that was an interesting experience for us. That was the first time that we really first and only time like we did an a, a branding exercise with an external agency. Um, it was the most money we'd ever spent on anything at that point in time. Um, and, but it was really, you know, it was, it was impactful and we, we were still friends. We actually live in a house that they designed and renovated in Flat Rock. And bought, <laughs> they're good, they're good family friends. Um, That's uh, amazing. But that, that I have to credit to Fuzzco, um, who, who does amazing work. Um, 
Well, but it's but it but it's beautiful to hear when when an extremely expensive and 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 risky uh, and and usually running against time uh, brand effort like that. When you go in and you're, you're scared as anyone would be um, because of the financial part and, and the time involvement and all of that, but when it when it turns out the way that it has, uh, and I would include the e-commerce and and, and the web folks too uh, with with the relaunch of the site, yeah, it, it's one strong brand that before was I'm sure strong too, but now it just added that layer where people have that uh, where where it turned into an experience of storytelling where before it was maybe just storytelling. Right. And it, and, and I feel yeah. like there's a huge difference. And I, I wonder if you, if you feel that ROI, if you sense that, and if you start feeling like the tribe is actually like there are more people coming and it's actually a, a, a success and it wasn't money wasted. Oh, it was absolutely a success. I mean, it was the first time before that, like our little East fork stamp was some, some old letter letterpress stamps that I had found a font that I had found, I don't know, in some antique store or something. So if for us, what it did is that it actually was like that point where we started to think about, okay, East Fork is a brand. And we just never thought about that sort of component of things before in, in that way. So it, it like made us take ourselves a little bit more seriously, maybe like yeah. that first step. And that was back in maybe 2000, gosh, when we first did that was 2017. Um, and then we're really lucky to have, we have an amazing photographer, an amazing art director. Um, you know, the photo shoots that they do are just unbelievable. Uh, we can do them quickly. We can, you know, that that stuff is also really yeah. super, super impactful. The um, the photography that that they put out is just, it, it's amazing. And it's because we, we do it ourselves. I think in, in large part, and we've assembled you know a good team to do that, and with with under Connie's kind of tutelage and guidance, um, it it really stands out. And there's going to be some really fun stuff coming out. I mean, and we, and nothing is done easy. Like they're going to go do a, a a photo shoot. They're going to hike to the top of this mountain that we like to go camping at uh, to this little creek, and you know they they just go the extra mile. And they're going to literally. <laughs> Slap <laughs> all the pottery up up the parkway and yeah. um and down into this little sort of hanging valley with this beautiful creek that I like to fish for brook trout in and um, do a photo shoot and it'll be unbelievable. So, <laughs> but see, because it is it is directed. Everything is like if you want it that way, you need it that way. You believe you believe in 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 art and design and 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 how it all comes together right so it's at the at the core of the brand and and you can see how it bears fruit uh online when you scroll yeah. through instagram and when yeah. you kind of yeah it's hey we're coming slowly to an end so i've got a couple more questions that i absolutely need to squeeze in um the first one now that you now that you've been uh co-running um this 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 company for for a good amount of of years um what does what does this often misunderstood word of branding mean to you? Like what, what, and we talked a lot about it too in different ways, right? But, but what to you is branding? What does it entail? How do you feel about it? If you have um, any emotions towards it. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is this little this ad I saw on Instagram the other day for an agency. And it said, brands aren't built. No, brands aren't born. They're built. By agencies, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> uh, of course. Was the like, last part uh, is the question, <laughs> right? Right. Um, you know, and I think like there are all the components that are sort of external 
that solidify and strengthen the East Fork brand, but like the real thing is underneath all of that. And it's much harder to put a finger on. And I mean, we've, we've done it throughout this conversation, but it's all those things that, um, that are more than just, um, you know, a really, really top tier agency coming up with, uh, you know, uh, a brand book for, an organization to follow it's like everything beneath it that is actually that's where the juice is um and it's much harder to, to quantify and and it's much harder to execute and, and and do so it's like what makes uh you know mediocre art and great art yeah. like you know um and so that's i think what's underneath that east fork brand is all that that stuff that um that we work so hard we think about we wring our hands over one of my questions is what's next for the east fork brand right like what are you excited about in the next six months but you already talked about a lot of things that, that, that are going to come up uh that you're going through right now last question before before i let you go and i know you your voice is slowly giving into it's like the friday end of the week no. <laughs> so yeah. um if, if if we would take your entire brand and we talked about it now for for a good uh, 45 or so minutes um and we would put it put it put it into a filter and outcomes like only one word or two words that that you feel and this does not this is not you as the spokesperson of east fork because i know there are two other people that that you would have to run this by but like to you just now intrinsically like what is one word or two words that can describe the brand like for Evelyn, it's transparency right for liquid death is mischief what is it for east fork i mean we're not like any of those other brands and so we wouldn't choose one word uh the one word that would come to mind would be sincerity but i think what accompanies everything we do is this open-hearted earnest striving to do something in a way that's different that's better that um is is sort of going up against the the status quo and so that that to me is 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 what's at the heart of everything we do um is is you know knowing that that we are imperfect and that there's constantly room to to improve and and challenge the the ways of doing things and it makes things much more difficult uh but much more exciting and and um and people respond to that. So, yeah, so yeah. if you want that one word, I think it would be it'd be sincerity. So you squeezed um, it out of you after all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, how? Where? Where do you want people to go to to learn more about uh, East Fork? You can uh, find us at eastfork.com or at eastfork pottery on Instagram, and um, yeah, you can slowly start. You know. <laughs> digging deeper in both of those places so. and there's a there's a lot to dig into um i i spent yeah. a good two hours before this show i'm um, just going through your instagram and being completely sucked into it so so yeah. careful to yeah. those who actually venture into that world <laughs> um yeah. hey thank you so much for 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 taking the time again this is right at the cusp of a of a of a, of a long weekend um uh, you took a good hour out of your day it was it was such a such a pleasure and and and, and and thank you for all of the insights that that you shared with us absolutely thank you so much for having me and asking such good questions 
Alex Matisse and uh, yet another conversation that reminds me of why I love bringing this podcast to you and, and why I love spreading these insights on the often intrinsic art of crafting brands people truly love. I hope you love this episode as much as I have the conversation. And if so, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was edited by Everett Barton, and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by the one and only Happiness One. I will see you next time, when we once again will be hitting the mark. <laughs>